0: Welcome to episode number seven. This episode is with Miguel Lacout. Miguel is a coach, educator, and current master's student at Columbia University. Miguel is one of the brightest and most intelligent coaches I've had the privilege to work alongside and be able to call a friend. In today's episode, we dive into what Miguel has going on in his life currently, including his current research with Yale Medical, how he's preparing for his start at the world-renowned Columbia University, and how to become a solid coach within the fitness space. If you love the episode and would like to support the podcast, I would ask for a review on iTunes and for you to screenshot the podcast episode and share it on your story. Be sure to tag me at Austin Current. Enjoy the conversation. Man, you've had some cool guests on here. Yeah, man. No, it's it's been really cool. Um, I've had a blast with it, man. It's been really it's been really cool in that way. Uh, just really good conversations, and people have been super open to doing it and joining me for a good conversation. So, honestly, it's been it's been awesome, and I, I've been wanting to get you on here just to talk about everything that's going on and your crazy life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah dude, everything has been completely insane and I know we've been wanting to get on here for a while but things just be, seem to be getting crazier for you and I. You went on a trip to Ireland and all over the world <laughs> yeah. and I've just been here working 24/7. I am the busiest I have ever been.
0: I have no idea how I'm doing things right now. Honestly, which makes no sense to me because every ever since I've known you since 2017 is when we first met each other. Um and ever since then it seems like Every time we talk, you say that. <laughs> so it's like, it's just, it's, it's insane. Just like, cause I know a part, like, I know your workload and I know a part of your workload. And it's like, I can't fathom doing that myself. And I don't know how you do it with like everything you're doing. So tell, tell me a little bit more, uh, just so everyone else can, can be filled in as well. Like, what, what's all going on that you're like allowed to talk about or whatever. But what's, what's going on with Miguel here?
1: Awesome. So I guess I can give a quick little intro to to Miguel so that people will know. Because I'm
0: yeah, let people know who you are. I guess
1: that a lot of your audience <laughs> won't know who I am. Uh, but yeah, my, my name is Miguel Blacute, and I've been working with or I started working with Austin in 2017. We both uh, started working mutually through uh, Flexible Lighting Lifestyle, and uh, since then, so many things have happened to Austin. Myself, currently, uh, I am a graduate student at Columbia University in applied physiology. Um, I am conducting a really, really big study in collaboration with, with Columbia and Yale and UT Austin. And as a result, I am going to be going to Yale at the Medical School of Yale in August to carry out a research. And a really cool project that we can talk a little bit about later. Um, and then other than that, I am also a, a huge nerd of exercise science and nutrition. Uh, I work uh, at Revive Stronger uh, alongside Steve Hall, Pascal floor and now our new coach, Ryan Solomon. I just kind of get into the, the science of Of lifting and exercise and nutrition and all these things, I am the guy who actually, for some reason, for some masochistic reason, enjoys reading thousands of hours of research papers and reading about 100 journals uh, every (laughs) single month and just trying to synthesize all this information in my head and get it out to people so that they can make the best uh, evidence-based decisions when it comes to their uh, physique, development, nutrition, and
0: and healthcare. Thanks for the intro, man. That's a better intro than I could have have done. (laughs) I don't know how good I'm... I may be good at intros. I don't know. I just don't even, I don't even go. I just allow you to get it. <laughs> tell people about yourself. Um, thank you for that. Yeah. I, I tell me a little bit about how the opportunity with Yale came about. So I know you were, obviously you got accepted to Columbia. Um, I wrote a letter of recommendation for you. So I was very aware of, of that. And I'm just, yeah, I'm stoked that you got in and that's amazing. And but how did the that in itself is amazing. But like, how did you get hooked up with like Yale Medical and like in this research position? Yeah,
1: so I think that to go a little bit further back on that, I was debating between two schools be- before uh, officially accepting going to Columbia. I was I was debating between I won't name the other school just because I don't want to go too into it. But I was debating between Columbia and then another school where I knew that. Um, I was kind of going to be, you know, a really big dog there and kind of be given all this money and and freedom and and stuff like that. And Columbia, which I kind of assume, well, because it's Columbia, because it's an Ivy League school, you know, everything's going to be set in a really strict way. And I'm not going to have that, you know, research freedom or freedom to do all these kind of crazy things that I like to do. Um, turns out that that wasn't the case. And I went to go visit Columbia and, um, my supervisor there was, was incredibly, incredibly open to doing whatever I wanted to do. She, she really wanted me there and she made sure that, uh, to really let me know that and give me all these freedoms. And then when I was kind of making the, the last part of the decision, I was looking at, okay, well, do these schools do the type of research that I want to be doing? And, Upon that, what I was doing is I was kind of looking at all the Ivy League schools and kind of planning, Okay, well, if I get my master's at Columbia, what am I going to do for my Ph.D.? And I stumbled upon a a research paper or I was rereading a research paper, really, um, by an author called called, uh, Bartholomew. And what Bartholomew does is he's kind of he's an exercise scientist and sports psychologist. So what he looks at is how does stress and all these outside factors influence what we get out of resistance training? And I noticed that one of his uh, on a couple of his papers, one of the lead authors was from Yale Medical School um, by a doctor, by a, a professor by the name of uh, Matt uh, the Dr. Matt Stultz. And so then I'm like, OK, cool, this is awesome. Well, if I go to Columbia, you know, Columbia, then Yale, that makes sense. That, that's something that one can do, go from one IV school to to the other. So then I kind of started looking into this Dr. Stultz and. I see that he actually turns out to be a professor and researcher at both Columbia and at, the, and at Yale. So I reach out to him and, you know, just kind of send a message. Be like, OK, well, you know, I would love to, to have a chat with you, talk about Columbia, talk about the type of work you guys do and just kind of get to know each other. And, you know, we had a really good conversation, one of those people that you start to talk with and you immediately get along with and can talk for hours on end. And, you know, by by the end of it, he's he feels like, yeah, I would absolutely love to do work with you when you get to um, Columbia. We'll, we'll do research. We'll do all these things. And it was really exciting. And so then we kind of left it at that. And then a few weeks later, I, I believe I texted him. I was like, hey, Dr. Solve, if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know if there's anything that you have ongoing that you have currently going on. Please let me know. I'd love to help you out. And it turns out that he actually had this big, big research project going on that um, because he's such a busy guy, he just didn't have. The driving force to just get it done, run the statistics, write the discussions, do the literature literature review—all these things that just take up so much time. And of course, me being me, I was like, "I will do it all." Um, so, of course, yeah. <laughs> and so then I I did a really good job with it. I think that's a really important kind of point to make: is that it's not just having the connection; it's also making sure that you kick ass when you have the connection. Um, and I really proved myself to him. And he was really impressed. So then he spoke with his supervisor and I uh, was offered a, 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 an internship at the School of Medicine at Yale, which is just, it's incredible. I mean, it, it's something that I, I couldn't even believe when it was kind of un- unraveling before my eyes.
0: Yeah, man. I think the key thing there, uh, other than the, the impressive rap sheet you just listed, um, but is that you are able to not only reach out to people and ask the questions, but also back it up with good work. Um, and that's a conversation that I kind of had with Ryan Doris was this concept of doing good work and making that kind of like the staple of what you do. And so it's, I think, an important thing to pull out of that is being able to take a step back, ask people for opportunity, um, you know, just deploy the ask. You have to ask without without asking, like, nothing's going to happen. Cause like, even when you, we, we got connected in 2017, that came from you asking, right? Like we didn't find you. You came out of the woodworks wherever you were and just asked like, Hey, here's some of the work that I've done. Who Here's the people that I've written for, you know, what, what opportunities do you have? What could I do for you? And like all this stuff. And it's just like, Zach and I dove into who you were and like figured out what you did. And it's not that you just asked, but you also had good work to back it up and so I I just think that's incredibly important is just that concept of doing good work and it's not it's not about who you know it's not all about asking it's 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 everything it's asking it's who you know it's who you build relationships with and then it's being able to actually back that up with doing good work and that's something that you've been able to just make a point to do over the last you know couple years that I've known you and I think it's landed you all the positions obviously that you've been in since it's like I knew when I first like was introduced to you and like brought you on in terms of like physique development for example I knew you were when I as soon as I brought you on I knew you had a shelf life and I knew you were leaving just like you're gonna outgrow this so fast but like I want to take whatever I just I saw like that spark in you and I'm like I gotta I got to like guide this in a good direction here. Um, And then if I can help in any way using whatever poll I have, (laughs) like whatever, whatever respect I have in in terms of that, like I want to do that. And so I knew as soon as like I brought you on, you were like out the door. Um, But when that time came, like I was so happy and it just, yeah, I, I think all those opportunities come about just because your willingness to ask your, Willingness to just put yourself out there and see what happens, but also just backing it up with like relentless tenacity and like relentless hard work and producing good work, not just producing stuff. Um, And I think that's just super important to highlight here in the beginning. Is just if you're out, like if you're listening to this and it's it's not clear on even like what the next step would be, start with what what I just said. Start with what Miguel has been talking about. Ask the question. Put yourself out there, build relationships, and then back it up with good work and like do that consistently and things will come your way.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that one of the reasons that, that, I, that I tend to work so hard is because I know how hard these opportunities are to come by. So for example, just to give the, the listeners a little bit more context, I also do work, I, I do a lot of work with, with Jeff Nipperd helping him out with his, with his videos. I, I do a lot of work with Dr. Lee Norton, with Holly Baxter, with Renaissance Periodization. I've written for Alan Aragon. And I know when looking at, at people on Instagram every or, or YouTube or the fitness industry in general, just everyone trying to grow, I know how much people would kill to have these opportunities. So I, th- I think one of the biggest things that I tend to think about is I don't take anything for granted. I know... How lucky or blessed or whatever I am to have these opportunities, uh, to have these really cool people give me these opportunities, and when I get them, I want to make sure I, I keep them, and I want to make sure that I exceed their expectations and, and always, always deliver what they wanted and more.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think that's crucial. I think it's insane. Yeah, it's amazing, and it's been so cool to watch because I just like I'm just over here in my in my little world, and I'm just watching <laughs> watching Miguel like, do all of the things that he does, which is just insane to me so I want to ask like what because I don't know if you've ever we've ever talked about this but especially never like on a podcast or anything so what was a moment I I love the I think one thing that this podcast is able to do is just kind of like give a sense of relatability to the people that we all look up to or um, you know because I've had some awesome people on the podcast so far and like people that we all look up to or we all have looked up to at some point and there's i think this sense of relatability is important and so what what was the moment things like clicked for you like what was there like is there a moment in time where you just like not only this is what i want to do because i know you come from a you can tell people that i know you come from like a fitness related background with your with your parents and even your grandparents um oh yeah yeah and so you can highlight that a bit, but when was it? Like was was there a moment or was it kind of just this like culmination of events that kind of like, oh, this just makes sense?
1: There was absolutely a moment. Um yeah, so so people know my grandmother owned a very large chain of gyms in South America. In fact, I think she was it was the first really large chain of gyms in South America. Uh so then my mom literally grew up inside of a gym. Like her playpen was literally inside of a gym. And so then I literally grew up in a gym and Fitness was always a part of my life. Um, I was always in sports. I I played football for a really long time. I played at a high level. Um, And then when it was kind of time to decide, okay, well, should I go play college ball or just kind of give it up? uh, I was at a point where I had a scholarship lined up for, uh, for for engineering, specifically biomedical engineering. And I decided, okay, well, at first, well, I live in Canada, right? So even if you go the the farthest way you can possibly go in Canada is like the CFL and as a lineman, which I was at the time, you're, you're going to earn like $50,000 a year. Like most CFL players have a second job because it just
0: pays so terribly, right? So don't, hey, don't try the, to go pro in Canada. The please. Rock the Rock played in the CFL too, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a, that's he a played for the argument. Calgary
1: Stampeders, which is actually my hometown.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Um, All right. So
1: unless you're the rock, don't play for the CFL, please. Um, Right. (laughs) uh, So then what happened is I I decided, okay, well, uh, I can earn a lot more by using my head, you know, to do equations and and smart stuff rather than just banging it into some other 300 pound lineman's head. Right. Decided to kind of keep that part of of my brain intact. And I decided to just go ahead and and study biomedical engineering. Um, And I was I was pretty successful at it. I had a nice uh, GPA. But the passion just wasn't there. It was something where each and every single day I was just kind of being like, well, I'm just doing this for the degree. I, I did not enjoy any part of it. I just kind of wanted the degree. I enjoyed some classes like calculus is pretty fun. Um, maybe some linear algebra is fun, kind of like really abstract math. But everything else just kind of sucked. And there was just no drive, nothing there to, to light a fire uh, under me. Uh, meanwhile, I was really getting into the science of fitness because I was always pot fitness but I never really understood or or researched the science of it but as someone who has always researched the science of other things uh, I just thought okay well it's time to to look into really 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 what causes muscles to grow what stimulates muscle protein synthesis um what should a, a diet look like what is what are the important parts of a diet and so then i started researching and at first i i think i started probably where everyone uh started off looking at people like lane norton and eric helms and, and lyle mcdonald and then after that i just kind of got tired of reading other people's interpretation of the literature and i started diving into the literature myself um, because i was with a big university in canada at the time i had access to pretty much any scientific journal that i wanted to access so i just in all my free time from engineering. I would be reading scientific research on, on exercise science, on nutrition, on human physiology, on health. And I became um, obsessed with it, for the for, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved every moment of reading every scientific paper. But then I would go to my engineering classes and have to, you know, kick ass there too. And it just kind of, the wedge between the two started to grow more and more. I was like, why am I studying one thing to get a, a prestigious degree and then one thing, because I love it so much, it doesn't make sense. Like, why am I, I know that I'm not going to be happy in this career. So why am I doing this to myself? And then one day I was doing, I, I believe I was doing like a cool down or something at the gym and I was watching a bio lane video log, um, you know, when lane started back went, in like
0: 2012, 2012.
1: Oh yeah. When he would put up, put up those really long ones where he would just like face the camera and talk for a while. Um, and it was about the importance of passion. And he was saying that if you don't enjoy the process, if you don't enjoy the grind and all you're looking forward to is that that promotion, that degree, that congratulations, that whatever it is, you're never going to truly be happy. You have to do something where you enjoy the grind and you're never going to do something where you enjoy 100 percent of of the entire process because no matter how much you love something, things are going to get hard. But you have to do something where like 95 percent of the time you absolutely love it. And then it just clicked with me. I was like, this does not make sense. Why am I killing myself for a degree I don't want when I am so clearly passionate and good at something else? So then I dropped all my engineering classes and I arranged to just kind of take these courses that would end up transferring over to to nutritional science. So I took all these biology classes, these anatomy classes. They were within kind of engineering and within what engineers were allowed to take because you can't just completely change your major Uh, in in your second year which I was in Uh, so I just kind of manipulated the class that I was able to take and uh, when that year is over I put in uh, an application to transfer to uh, McGill University which if U.S. listeners aren't aware this is the best university in Canada to study uh, nutritional science specifically nutritional biochemistry and I got in so then I transferred uh, from Queen's University to McGill University to study nutritional science and from day one I absolutely loved it and Um, Within six months of studying there, I got an offer to write for Alan Aragon and then for Lane. And then shortly after, I got an internship with Menno Henselmans, And then uh, then everything just kind of kicked off from there. And then I think a few months later, I I met Austin. And then I started working with Jeff and more with Lane and then Holly and then Renaissance. And then Revive Stronger. And things just have kind of gone crazy ever since.
0: Yeah. So let's go back to... um there's a couple of things I want to unpack there. So it's the first one was understanding that no matter if how passionate you are, like how much you enjoy something, there's always downfalls to it and there's always things you're not going to like. And I think that's important. Like, I, I think the, I don't really buy into find something you're passionate about and you'll never work a day in your life. Like, I don't believe that because to me like work is still work. I mean, that's my opinion. That's my views on it. Um, Now, work can be enjoyable and fulfilling and make you happy and give you kind of like dual purpose in your life because we do spend so much time working that I think that has good carryover. But I, I don't think so. I think the going in with unrealistic expectations of like, well, I thought I was passionate about this. So why am I feeling these feelings of like either doubt or I have a sense of unhappiness at maybe a a one day a month or something like this is normal this is a part of being a human and like that's life and i think it's just super important to unpack that part of what you said of just because you're passionate about something and even like you're one of the most passionate people i've ever met about anything and you still have your days where you're just like oh okay well this is like and it could just be from a sense of like just because you're so freaking busy um it could be a sense of slight overwhelm in some ways but i think that's Also by watching you, I think that's a sense of like what makes you who you are and your ability to just crush that. Um, So I I just wanted to unpack that really quick, just like highlight the importance of that statement, especially coming from you, someone who is like one of the most passionate people I've ever met. The second thing is I wanted to ask how, I, I think it's helpful for people, especially like people that are wanting to get into this more um, to become a coach, become a writer, become like someone in this fitness uh, space. How did you go about fielding those first offers from Alan Aragon, from Lane Norton, in terms of like writing for their publications or for their websites? Like, did they approach you? Did you approach them? And how did that kind of look like in terms of like you making that happen?
1: So, when I first realized how passionate. And how knowledgeable I was in nutrition and exercise. Because at one point I was like, wow, I I have really accumulated a lot of knowledge. I'm going to start putting this out there. I feel comfortable with, with spreading knowledge. Um, I started a YouTube channel. And it grew to about 5,000 uh, subscribers. And then I remember I sent Alan Aragon a message just on the bodybuilding.com forums. when those were still kind of a thing and popular. I was like, hey, Alan, uh, check, please check out my YouTube channel. I talk about these things. I think you'll enjoy it. And I didn't hear from him for like six months. And like six months later, he just randomly comments on one of my videos. He's like, Miguel, your channel is awesome. I love this information. Subscribe. So then this is a part where I think that you really need to capitalize on the opportunity when something like that presents itself. When when someone that big just kind of tells you that you, they like your content and that they're subscribed and, and they want to listen to you, reach out to them, see what you can do for them. So what I did is I immediately wrote out and I was like, hey, Alan, is there... Anything at all I can do for you. I love the the research review. Um, Can I write for it? And he said, absolutely. Uh, So then I wrote an article for for his research review. I believe I wrote wrote about uh, the science of refeed days. So now we kind of have a lot of research to show that uh, refeed days really aren't very effective and that the amount of calories that you... Consume within a refeed day isn't going to uh, negate how many calories you burn. So, like, if you eat 500 calories in a refeed day, you might burn off, like, 50. So you're still at a 450-calorie surplus. So I wrote about that. And then he loved it. And he loved it so much Then the following month, I wrote an article about the science of overeating on on holidays. There's actually quite a bit of of literature about, um, you know, what kind of eating cues and what things you can do to prevent overeating during a holiday specifically. So I wrote about that. Um, so then I had two publications in the Al and Aragon research review. I think I, was... I
0: actually remember, sorry to interrupt. I think I actually remember reading those. So I was subscribed at the time. Oh, that's awesome. And I think I actually remember reading those public, like in, within the public, uh, the research review publication. I think I remember like, and I was trying to think, uh, cause yeah, you know, obviously as he wrote, he wrote himself, but then he had guest writers as well. Right. So yeah. I remember I was like, "Who is this Miguel guy?" And I just like <laughs> forgot about that. Like that just like sparked uh, sparked my memory. You saying that, I remember reading actually reading those.
1: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I, I, no one knew who I was at that time. I was just kind of coming out of the woodwork, I guess. Yeah. Um. So then I kind of, you know, I was like, "Okay, cool. Alan wants me to wanted me to write for him. I'm good enough for Alan. Let's see who else it would be interesting." Uh. So then I reached out to Doctor Lane Nort, and I was like, "Hey, Lane, I these are my publications. This is what I've written about." These are my qualifications. Can I write for you? Because at the time he was growing his own website, Violin.com. Then he said, "Sure, give me some some topics that you'd be interested in. I'll tell you which ones are cool, and you can write about them." Uh, So then I wrote. I, I believe it was like five or six articles for Lane uh, on various different topics I wrote about uh, organic foods I wrote about the different types of creatine and the science behind them I wrote about intra-workout carbohydrates uh, all all these types of things so then Lane and I kind of developed the relationship from there and have done um, more work since so then once I had worked for Alan and Lane I reached out to uh well to give some context my family was living in the Netherlands at the time so uh, someone who's really big in, in the scientific community if that's from the ne- Netherlands is Menno Henselman of so Asian bodybuilding. So I reached out to Menno and to see if there was anything I can do for him over the summer. That way I could spend some time with my family and do some cool research in the Netherlands. Uh, so I sent Menno my, my resume, told them who I was, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I work for Alan and Lane, and then he brought me on to, to do some work for him. So then at that point, I had worked for Allen, Lane, and Mano Henselman. So, you know, when you you tell people that, it really opens up some doors. Yeah. Um, And I believe it was that summer as well that... Uh, Zach Rushlow of Flexible Dieting Lifestyle was opening up the Flexible Dieting University, which I guess he officially released now, um, and bringing on coaches and stuff like that. So then I told them, hey, Zach, like, I would love to do some work for you. Uh, if you need some coaches, if you need work setting up your, your course, anything like that, please let me know. And, uh, you know, Zach really looks up to, to Alan and Lane. Uh, he knew who Meno was. So he started looking into me. And as Austin said, then they both started looking into me because Austin was the head coach um and they liked what, what they saw so then they gave me that opportunity and then from there i austin and i really got along really really well so then I, I asked him if i could come on to physique development he said yes and then um i went to move on to revive stronger and now um yeah the opportunities with, with, with holly baxter and renaissance spiritization and jeff just kind of present. actually no i reached out to jeff um i told him who, who i was and um because i already had all these um things that I had done for various people who he trusted. I had good, good recommendations, stuff like that. He went ahead and he brought me on to, to help him out with his research videos. And then at that point, because I had like just so many things, you know, I can pretty much reach out to, to a a really wide variety of people and they'll know that I can get work done because I can say that I've worked for all these cool people
0: and, you know, they'll know I'm trustworthy. That's incredible. It's, it's just super cool to, here, um because i know most of that story but I, it's just really cool to hear you kind of chronologically go through it um, yeah it's interesting
1: for me too i had never like gone through it chronologically i haven't done, done that in a while
0: yeah no it's super interesting it's something i've done a lot more um i actually talk about it on the podcast a little bit um but just over the past year or two I, i've just started to really unpack things a little bit more uh sit with myself be a little bit more introspective in the way of instead of having someone ask me that question, it's just like, okay, let me go through this myself and consider these things, because I think it helps. I think it just helps in general, just thinking through things and putting things in perspective and giving them context and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's incredibly cool to just hear the chronological order and how that happened and how one thing leads to another thing, which leads to another thing, which leads to another thing. And then, it, again, it all goes back to the ask. So you have to create opportunity. And these things just, you know, we look at you now with where you're at and who you're connected with, who you work for. And we'd assume coming from the outside, like today, if no one's, if people haven't heard of you listening to this, it's easy to, for you to do the, your, your introduction and be like, okay, I went to McGill University in, in Canada and then I got, you know, I did really well there. Then I got accepted into Columbia. Now I do work for Yale. And then I do work for all these other researchers and credible coaches. And it's like we can easily start to assume if you don't listen to that chronological order of how things happened and what it took for you to ask those questions and create opportunity, it'd be easy just to assume like, oh, well, that was just someone gave him something and then like he's just gone with it and now he's just connected. Lucky him. And it's just it's so untrue. (laughs) And it's just like obviously there's there's, I think there's always a bit of luck and within opportunity like that, like for the opportunities to come about in the chronological order they did in a place in your life where that could happen. And you were, you had the foresight to develop this knowledge base previous to like things lined up. I mean, things like, I don't want to call it a coincidence, but things lined up in a good way for you. And then you seized the opportunity. You created the opportunity from there. But I think I think it's just su- super important to highlight that, the creation of opportunity from all the way to like putting yourself out there to starting a YouTube channel. And then as soon as like you know Alan reached out to you like through your just comments on a post, that turned into a writing opportunity, which turned into another writing opportunity, which turned into working for someone else prestigious. Which then turned into working for someone else prestigious. You know, like it's just super cool to like kind of run through that. And it's just super important, I think, for people listening to unpack that and understand the importance of asking, the importance of creation of opportunity. And uh, you know, I'm talking to myself here a little bit too. And I've done similar things with my with my career. And I think being in the right place at the right time sometimes, and then it's a mix of. You have to ask and you have to put yourself out there. You have to be uncomfortable for a bit. And sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes sometimes things do. But at the end of the day, like you're always learning. You're always adapting. You're always recalibrating to these new opportunities. Did this last opportunity go the way I wanted it to? Is that my fault? Was that their fault? Was it mutual? And then how do we progress? How do we keep going and keep attacking that? Um, so I just think that's super cool. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, but I just think that's incredibly cool to work through that um in terms of like how opportunity does arise and how you create these opportunities so
1: well the other day i was uh, talking to to steve we were on a live and we were talking about um i can't remember what oh we were talking about not knowing how uh stressful a situation or how bad a situation is until you're out of it and we we're uh, we we're kind of talking about oh sleep like right.
0: deprived Yeah, And I
1: was telling him about uh, when we first started working together and you were in New New Zealand or no, you're in Australia, sorry.
0: Australia, yeah. And
1: I I was just doing so much work for so many people and also trying to coordinate to someone with with Austin's um, time zone. So I was sleeping like three to four hours a night, if that. And Austin just kind of looked, he's like, Miguel, get your shit together, man. You know the
0: benefits of sleep. Yeah, Uh, I was like, you could write a full (laughs) ebook. You could write a full like chapter by chapter book on sleep right now. Like from memory, like, <laughs> but if you're not sleeping, you're not going to remember any of it. So go yeah, that.
1: that just kind of shows. And then, and then I, and then I was like, yeah, I'm going to sleep like six to eight hours a night. And then it was such a ridiculous uh, difference. I
0: remember, yeah, I remember getting a message from you, like a week later, you're like, oh man, I've, I've slept normal. Like the past week, I feel so great. <laughs> I have so much energy. My brain's firing and all cylinders. So I was just like, yeah, that makes sense, buddy. Like, I just,
1: I, I just want to give some context so people will know like what kind of work I was doing at the time where... It was literally three to four hours of sleep a night, every single night. It it was ridiculous. I was, I'm concerned for myself.
0: I was concerned (laughs) and I told you to go to sleep. Um, So I want to ask what is a, um, what's something positive. So like there is a lot of, you know, there's, we're in a state right now where in in fitness or the space of, you know, the industry and, and the fitness space and information that's being, put out there um, as we've kind of been over, you know, as it's always kind of been, right? Uh, There's good and there's bad, but I don't want to focus on the bad. I want to focus on the positive. So what is a positive trend you're currently seeing in the, in the fitness space, in the fitness industry uh, that you can kind of highlight on? Like, what's one thing that like, with all the bad happening or with all the bad, like literature or information being put out uh, via social channels or shammy articles being written what is something you're just like off you know this gives me hope this gives me faith in the industry like this is this is at least happening so
1: i think that one thing and uh, i'm going to focus on the biggest thing because for, for general population because i think that applies to the biggest number of people um and that is fighting weight stigma so weight stigma is basically saying Someone is overweight, they're inherently unhealthy, they're inherently a bad person, they're inherently lazy. Whatever it is, it's saying the people who are overweight for some reason are less than you or are more prone to something. And we're trying to fight this for, for numerous reasons. The reasons for, for that, that we're trying to fight this is, for one, it, it incredibly impacts the, the the healthcare that they are able to receive. So, for example, if you are very overweight or have obesity and you go to the doctor nine times out of ten they're going to tell you it's, it's, it's because of your obesity it's because of your weight it's because of your body fat percentage and what we're seeing happen is that doctors actually miss symptoms and miss clear signs that they need to help someone because they're too busy talking about weight um people are avoiding going to the doctor because they feel so ashamed of, of weighing themselves and all these things are really just causing people who have obesity or are overweight to have a lower quality of life. There was one one lady uh, who sh- she had obesity and she had back pain and she had awful back pain. And it was a really sad story, by the way. And uh the doctor just said, no, it's cause you it's because you have obesity, it's because you're so overweight, you can't carry yourself, and your back is hurting. Turns out that she had a tumor in her back, and she died because no one, no one gave her an MRI, no one, no one took care of her until it was too late. So that's kind of one thing they were trying to defeat. The other thing they were trying to defeat is we're starting to see that even if you have obesity even if you are overweight movement simply going for a brisk walk, going to the gym, doing all these things are incredibly beneficial for you. And we can combat a lot of the negative side effects of, of having obesity by simply doing movement. And what, the way that we're going to do that is by making movement enjoyable, by making people enjoying going to the gym, uh, enjoying moving and just recreationally doing stuff. We can't place people in, in an environment where they feel threatened to go to the gym or or um intimidated, we need to get people to enjoy doing movement for the sake of movement. Not because I need to lose weight or not because uh, my doctor told me that people need to enjoy movement for the sake of movement. So the reason that I'm kind of very passionate about this ending the weight stigma thing is one, to improve the healthcare that they can get, and two, because, we can't deny the fact that having obesity is unhealthy. But what we can do is say, well, if you have obesity and you're really having a hard time losing that weight, at least move. And the way that we're going to get people to consistently move is to enjoy the movement and not feel intimidated and having an environment, an exercise environment that accepts all people and helps all people to reach whatever goal they're trying to
0: accomplish. Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important. And I I kind of touched on, um, I know Stephen Stephen Guillenet touched on it a little bit in his Hungry Brain book just kind of about the, the battle of, of obesity and how you're already kind of fighting against yourself in that regard. Um, but yeah, he kind of touches on that, like in a, in a way, in a, in, a, in a very, very scientific way. Um, but it's important. Yeah. And that's something that... So where is that surfacing? Is that just kind of something like that, that topics that you're seeing within the research community that's kind of being coming about? Or is this something that's a little bit more, um, because I've seen a little bit about it, uh, more mainstream, but is this something that you just tackle more in the research community at the moment?
1: I think that, so we have a lot of research to show that most people, even if they lose weight, they're gonna gain the weight back. And that research comes from very poorly done diets, like the biggest loser, very aggressive diets that are, are just not sustainable and put people in a very bad position. Um, so as a result, we have all these like really poorly done diets and all these people regaining weight. So people have kind of said, well, dieting doesn't work. And that's the, that's the anti-diet movement It's people saying that no matter what you do, you can't lose weight, you're going to gain it back. And we know that's not true. We know that a, a, with a properly executed diet, um, you can lose weight and you can sustain it. Uh, but because we have so much more statistics showing people regaining weight, people have just kind of said weight doesn't work. So whenever there's kind of like a, a counterculture to a culture, it kind of forces you to to think about what they're saying and kind of try to reach a, a middle ground. So out of that kind of like anti diet stuff, there's a lot of intuitive eating research, a lot of weight stigma research, and they're uncovering a lot of things. Because they're so anti diet, they're really starting to uncover all these things that happen to people that have obesity and are overweight and are just not taken seriously. So all these things are coming to surface, and we're just kind of starting to consider, okay, well, damn, weight loss advice. Can be very harmful to people. We kind of need to find a middle ground. So instead of having someone come into the office and you tell them, okay, well, you need to go on this really restricted diet and lose weight, how about we get them to enjoy movement? How about we get them to enjoy running, and then maybe as a result, they'll they'll lose weight. Maybe they'll lose weight because they enjoy it. They, they enjoy movement so much they want to lose weight for it. But we won't be sticking people into an office and being like lose weight now, stop eating the foods you like, because that can be very harmful and, and cause that weight regain that I just talked about.
0: Yeah, I think it's incredibly important and just giving, like setting someone up for success. And um, like ever since I've known uh, my wife, it's been, I know you're looking at me over here. It's been, <laughs> um, it's been kind of like, cause you know, I come from very macro, you know, macro heavy, macro based nutrition background. And there's kind of always been those questions around, yeah, but what if, you know? Then you talk to other people, and you kind of mention that, and it's like, well, it's not all—it's not all about just tracking macros. Like, you know, it, once you say that, because like for someone like you and I, we've seen immense success not only with ourselves but with clients, um, competitors, everyone—like everyone we've we've worked with in some capacity—is like at least track their macros or i have been willing to track them for a week or two to understand it. And then they'll go into something else. But telling like a normal person on the street as they're walking and, you know, they may be overweight, they may have a, a weight issue. And then just a sense of like not understanding nutrition. It's, it's way more complicated than just throwing the three macronutrients at them and saying, track these, right. It's just, it's, there's way more into that. And that's something that my wife is brought it to, to light more or less, like especially more in the start of our relationship, I think was kind of like, cause I was very, I wasn't going to say, I'm not going to say I was, was closed minded, but I was just very, I think one dimensional in my thinking at the time, because it was like, well, this, I've used this, I've used this with, you know, clients, I've used this with other, you know, and I've seen tons of success. So why would, why would it need to be any other way? Like just adapt. And it's like, that's just not, That's not like that's not the case. That's not realistic. That's not sustainable for the population that needs our help the most. And so it's I think where I think a really cool place that what I'm hearing is basically we're moving away from what we know to be true. And we're starting to look and starting to move away from our own egos around what we know to be true. And we're starting to look at other things that may also be true that are more helpful to this population of people that need it. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. I think that um, Eric Helm said it best in, in, in a podcast that I was hearing and talked about is that tracking macros is only flexible if you've done the other extreme. So, tracking macros is only flexible if you've been on a rigid meal plan. But as Austin said, if you grab someone from the street, And you're like, hey, all you need to do to lose weight is track these three macronutrients. You got to weigh all your food and make sure that, uh, you know, you weigh these things raw, these things cooked, and everything fits into these three numbers. It's incredibly restrictive. You can't just grab the average person from the street and and tell them to do this. And that's why so many people attempt these, you know, ridiculous fat diets because they they just seem so much easier. Uh, So really what we need to do is we need to just kind of rethink our approach, say, okay, well, maybe this macro tracking stuff we use for our competitive athletes, for the people who are like basically machines and and for the people who can really tolerate it. But if someone is coming to us and they have a poor relationship with food and they can't track macro, they don't wanna track macros, we need to rethink our approach because we can't just tell everyone to track macros. It's just, it's not going to work as, as, as a wide approach.
0: Yeah, and I think that can be seen in numerous places within our lives currently, but sticking with the training and nutrition aspect of things, just Look at training. So why would nutrition be so one-sided if training is not? Meaning strength training, like going to the gym and lifting weights, is not the only way to improve your health or lose weight. Like there's numerous other ways and avenues and activities and methods to being healthy and losing weight and strengthening your muscles and and into the point where you're in a good position. Like, are you reaching your peak potential as a human? Probably not. But like, so like, people don't care about that. They just want to be healthy. And especially this population that we're discussing, right? It's just, I'm, I don't enjoy going to the gym and I don't ever want to, I hate weighing myself. So why would I want to put food on a scale? So what do I do? Am I just, I'm trapped. I, I don't want to go to the gym because It sucks. And I don't want to weigh my food because I don't want to weigh anything in general. And that seems restrictive. And then they get ex- obsessive about that, right? It's just like this cycle, this feedback loop of, it's kind of this, this feedback loop of not getting anywhere. And I agree with you there. I think it's incredibly important to end. I'd say we both grew up in an era where, or a generation that kind of there's this always been this weight stigma happening, you know? even from a young age, I can remember kind of like not in like a derogatory way, but it was always this negative view on overweight or obese individuals, like whether it was directly at them, but it's kind of like, there's this understood thing, right. Hmm. Of you just kind of make like assumptions about the person. And those, those are probably so untrue and asked backwards, but so are most assumptions. But I just think, yeah, I think we're at a place now, this is incredibly, I'll I'll agree with you, this is incredibly positive to see. And I, I think there's a whole other issue at hand here. And as much as we dive into the nitty gritty of how do I put an extra quarter of an inch on my biceps, let's tackle more important issues. Like let's get people that are dying of obesity related diseases, slash, getting misdiagnosed because they are obese or just not even being paid attention to or looked at in a way that they should or people need to show up for these individuals just because of this, right? And so I, I think that's an incredibly positive trend. So I'm, I'm super stoked as well to see this movement come about. And I think, do you think the movements, this, these may be unrelated, but I'm starting to think in my head as I talk through this, the, the movement of um, the body image movement we kind of just went through of, we, we'd see especially female competitors go through a prep and then basically just gain a ton of weight back and that would turn into this positive body image movement of because I've gained all of this extra weight, I'm po- like I'm happy in this body that I'm in now and I'm, this is very positive. And the, kind of like the positive weight gain movement do you think that had any correlation, which I don't necessarily always agree with um, in in that regard? Because I think it was taken to extremes and I think people were at, at an unhealthy level that it didn't necessarily need to be at. Um, and there, that's probably due to damage from actually competing and the unhealthy habit that can become, especially for females. But that, all that being said, do you think there was any relation to that and where we're at now with it? Or is, do you think they're just kind of like the correlation doesn't mean causation there?
1: I, I definitely know what you mean. And I think that what, what you're referring to is just kind of like within our own circle, we have seen people try our own make,
0: circle, not gym pop, like yeah, our yeah. own circle here.
1: Yeah. So when basically when, when Austin and I, I guess we're both coming up in, in the fitness industry, um, most people probably remember this. It was very popular to just the, the the pride and joy of the room was to stay lean year round. Like that was, that was your, your, your mark of ruler to be lean year round. And People I, I guess what happened is that for that let, let's say like one to four periods where, where that was or for one to four year periods where, where that was popular, um, uh, yeah, people maybe were able to stay lean year-round. And at some point or another, they just kind of realized, well, I feel like ass. Like I am drag, I, I am dragging myself around. I have no energy, no libido, no anything. Um, and then we just kind of started to say, Well, competitors, like you don't need to be lean year-round, this is ridiculous your, your, your off-season, your master season, your improvement season, whatever you want to call it, you should be at a weight where you are comfortable, uh, where you are enjoying food, where you have energy, and all these awesome things. And I think that one of the things that probably kind of set this whole movement off is just the whole reverse dieting and recovery dieting thing that was pushed by Lane and by 3DMJ. I think that talking about being at a heavier weight for uh, people within the fitness industry was was huge because competitors started to... Uh, say so like, okay, well, it's okay to be on higher calories and not be leaning around. Um, if you're a competitor, you probably don't want to get to too high of a body fat percentage because you have to come right back down for your next season or whatever. Um, but I think that was huge when competitors started to value the uh, or, or value putting weight back on and being at a higher body fat percentage and being able to to perform better. It, it's interesting because things kind of tend to go in, in waves and fluctuations because – Let's say, like ten years before Austin and I, it was popular to get as fat as possible during your during your massive yeah, and
0: then period. and then the the fat would turn to muscle
1: yeah so like t- i remember and, and if you see pictures of the even the 3dmj guys man they got fluffy like people would gain like 50 pounds during their off season and, and that was what you did i remember i remember uh when i was 16 this this was really popular so i did it too like i was like 230 pounds when i was 16 because in my idea like this is just this what you did you ate a lot you ate a lot of ben jerry's and protein and then you <laughs> turned the you turned the fat into muscle
0: you turned the fat into muscle i remember when i first started training um I may have been 14, 15, like when I really kind of started to get into it. Um, yeah, that, that theory was still around of like <laughs> you, you gain weight and the fat turns to muscle and like when you train. <laughs> and that's, that's an amazing, an amazing theory. <laughs> uh, if, I'm glad if it that's true, that would be amazing. If I'll it were true, that would be amazing. Uh, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that theory has vanished. Um, I'm glad that has been debunked. Cause that is a, that's a wrong. And I, yeah. And I, <laughs> but anyways, just to get, get on with that. I, I do think this is a very positive trend and I'm glad you brought this up. Ending the weight stigma and finding a good, healthy medium for people. Um, because even like with clients that we work with that are gin pop, there's, I think, and this is something I see both with male and females that they see. Cause like a lot of times clients will send, Hey, I want to look like, this person I want to look like this image per se right and they're starting at where they're starting and then they want to get to that image that they saw on social or the, the influence that they love to follow and the body type they have and I but I don't want to look like that individual I want to look like that individual in this one photo in this in this lighting and when they when they were the most dieted down and unhappy they've ever been and so it's already setting this unrealistic expectation but I think it's important to realize that we all have our place, this kind of like the, the settling point in which our body is the happiest from a health a health perspective, a strength perspective, and kind of this just homeostasis of life. And I think we get too far in our heads of wanting to look a certain way at the, at the detriment or sacrifice of so many other things in our life, um, whether it's our work, whether it's our relationships, whether it's whether it's our own happiness, just to try and achieve this although maybe attainable goal it's not realistically something that can be withheld for a long period of time and maybe not necessarily healthy um, mentally or physically and so i think it's important that we do find a middle ground and i I don't think we're all going to come to this like kumbaya agreement of okay now this is we all have, there's this formula you plug in and like, here's the middle ground and this is what you should try and achieve. And if, don't try to achieve any more than that because, you know, you've met your your ceiling, like you've met your threshold. Like, I don't think that's healthy either. But I just think there needs to be a little bit more almost acceptance of where this healthy point is for each of us. Because like, my set point is probably at a point where I personally like to be a little leaner but I know, my, I know I'm at a place where I'm sleeping the best. Um, all my hormone levels are in check. Blood work looks really good. Um, strength's where it needs to be at. My energy to do my, my work professionally is really good. and But me mentally, like, I'd rather be a little bit leaner, right? And it's just like, well, I almost need to accept that, that I can try and work on myself physically. But it's almost this acceptance of like, okay, I'm okay with this and whether I like the way I look like other people around me could give a shit, you know, give a fuck less about how I, <laughs> that I want to be like 1% leaner. Um, but anyways, I, I think it's an incredibly positive trend. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And I, I think it's a, it's something that is like the next thing to tackle. You know, we, we've kind of, we've learned a lot about muscle protein synthesis, you know, in the last decade, we've learned a lot about hypertrophy in the last decade. We've learned a lot about some nutritional protocols in the last decade, but I think within this next decade, it's really important that we do kind of tackle this weight stigma issue and how to best reach that population that almost needs our help, that needs our help the most. That if we're allocating like as a hum- like as a society, if we're allocating all our resources to helping the population that needs the most help, I, I think that's a very positive movement, in the re- like a, a, a movement in the right direction.
1: No, absolutely. I 100% agree. And just so people kind of, uh, you know, understand uh, a little bit more about me. uh, So I I have kind of a a, a few big passions. One of these, one of them is the general population, but I also under, I also love all the nerdy stuff that uh, we probably shouldn't be allocating all that money to uh, like molecular physiology and muscle physiology and understanding (laughs) some anabolic pathways that aren't going to really help many people except bodybuilders.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I I think it's important that people keep, pursuing that to the point where it's making, like, is it the most productive and like the best for the overall society? Who knows? I don't know. Um, I, I do have my theory on like ecosystems holds true in that too, of everything has this like very delicate ecosystem. And just because we don't like something doesn't mean it can be taken out of that ecosystem. So just because we don't like a certain let's say niche of coaches or content creators because they're putting out stuff that we don't necessarily agree with, so we wish we could just rid of them and be gone with them, and the world will be a better place, maybe not though, because it may be if if they learn a little bit and start to change their views, maybe the world would be a better place. but if they completely went away, I don't think the world could, may, would be a better place because we we need almost each person in this very fragile ecosystem to be doing their work because that gives you, for example, content to create to almost be a counterculture to that culture and use it as a teaching lesson and gives people an example of what not to do. And without that, would we have the same information coming from your brain? Or you, well, your brain would be occupied doing a lot of other things and like <laughs> like what you just mentioned, like learning more about anabolic pathways and we never get the information from Miguel's mind that the general population would benefit from, for example. Um, so taking it to a more relatable example, we don't like, I hate mosquitoes or I hate spiders. They're the worst, right? But without mosquitoes or spiders, we wouldn't have a lot of other big things that eat those things and then the things that eat those things like there's this chain right there's that there's the food chain that we have there's this fragile ecosystem of things happening that all feed off each other and we're all learning off each other and we're all adapting and recalibrating off each other and so if you're just completely takes one of those subgroups out maybe acutely things would improve but as a whole i don't think they would now i don't know how to that's as far as my theory goes and i think i i need to continue with it and like unpack that a little bit more and like maybe what the best case scenario would be but then again like my best case scenario isn't everyone's (laughs) it doesn't mean it's right either so uh, I'm getting sidetracked anyways um, the overarching thing there is like things rely heavily on other things and we live everything that we have in our worlds even down to the, the fundamental like foundations of our planet like everything's a fragile ecosystem obviously we're seeing with what's happening with our environment currently and like but that runs true in each little like our little fitness industry that we deem to be really important to us but as a whole in the whole world like really not that important but it within our own like within that there's that ecosystem and there's an ecosystem within every like thing if that makes sense um, I, again I'm getting a little sidetracked but I think that's important to relate to when looking at these things of like, why can't we just get rid of those people? Like they're the worst. And it's like, well, we may not actually want to get rid of them because it could heavily disrupt the rest of this ecosystem that is doing good, if that makes sense. Um, The last question I want to ask you here, so before you kind of like let people know where they can find you is, Something that I like to ask everyone. And again, something that gives a sense of relatability and lets people know that even though Miguel is Miguel and he's done all these amazing things at the ripe age of, how old are you? 23. Right. (laughs) The ripe age of 23. (laughs) He's basically done many people's life's work by the age of 23. what is one thing you're working on personally? Like what is one thing that when you lay your head down at night and you review your days or this month and, or you're writing in your, when you, if you journal in the morning, or whatever you do, like what is one thing you're looking to improve? Um, so yeah. What is one thing you're working on personally as Miguel?
1: I think the biggest thing that I have been working on, um, of mentally thinking about a lot is 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 the impact that I am going to have on this world the things that I'm going to do with with all that I have accomplished because I think that not wanting to to sound talky or anything but I have like I've done some really cool things and I have you know elevated some knowledge acquired a lot of cool things and I know that I I, to to some extent I, I can probably obtain and synthesize and and uh, deal with information better than a lot of people. And from that, I've just kind of been thinking about, do I want my big, big mark on the world to be helping people get more jacked? Or is there something that I can do for the world that is really going to to be a huge impact to humanity? Because maybe I can dive a little bit into other types of research to see, well, can I contribute to cancer research? Can I contribute to... Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or all these like neuromuscular diseases that we really don't have a lot of answers for. So that's kind of one thing that I've been really going over in my head is what's going to be my, my legacy when, when I leave and what am I going to be really, really happy with and how can I make humanity better when I leave the, this world? And sure, I think that, you know, improving people's health, through nutrition and exercise is, is a huge, huge thing. But is there something bigger that I could be doing? Is there something that if I were to allocate all the resources that I am given, you know, all the money that comes from doing research, not to me directly, but all the money that is given to a place like Columbia and Yale and wherever I do my PhD next. What if I were to really drive that to do some type of really cool research that is going to affect millions of people, maybe save lives or or something like that. So that's just kind of one thing that I've been going over, because I think that at the end of the day, program design and nutrition is something that I don't think is, is, is all that mentally challenging. Yeah. But, for example, um, creating like different types of, of tissues that go into a surgery or understanding um, um, cancer signaling or stuff like that, those are things that maybe if I were to dedicate more time to, I could really, really help humanity. So that's that's kind of one thing that, that that I've just kind of been juggling about in my mind is do I want to truly just be dedicated to fitness or should I take all these opportunities that I'm given to help humanity somehow?
0: it's a really cool answer. It's it's really cool. I is there an area so like I can speak from that I have both Parkinson's and Alzheimer's that run in my family. So such scary stuff. It is. And I've lost three family members within the last five or so years to Alzheimer's, dementia, like diseases alike. Um, so that is something that heavily runs in my family. Um, all of my dad's siblings basically are the ones and that there's basically two more on the way of that diagnosis slash are going to you know, they're going to die within the next few years probably from that. Um, and so that is something that I've been trying to do a little bit of my own research on, of like the current literature and the current information that I can find on on that. And I've, I've started to try and be as proactive about taking preventative measures, reducing, let's say, reducing oxidative stress within the brain, like reducing total systemic stress, one, making sure I'm sleeping, making sure that I'm not, you know, all of these things, right? I'm doing what I can proactively from a lifestyle environment perspective to prevent those things, um, or at least extend my life, my my years of healthy, healthy living. Um, but yeah, I that's super cool. So do you have, so obviously I'm biased to Alzheimer's a bit just because it runs heavily in my family and I'm quite concerned about it, I think, as my life goes on, because it's extremely scary. So if is there one area of, of those that you mentioned that are super interesting to you that you think you would want to dive more into, that you've kind of been thinking about alongside the the questions you've been asking yourself?
1: I think that one of the biggest questions that we have is something uh, called cancer cachexia. So cancer cachexia is the point in, in cancer where... Um, your body just kind of stops responding to any type of protein synthesis and it just goes into complete degradation. Inflammation goes up like crazy. And it's at that point that we basically say you have like three months to live. So that, that's when, right, when cancer, okay. cancer, cancer kicks in. It's the point where we're like, there's just not much we can do anymore. And if we are able to somehow get the body more sensitive to protein synthesis and to anabolic signaling, then we can probably prolong definitely prolong life, I think, if we're able to have some sort of big impact on that. So that'd be one really cool thing to do. Um, of course, uh, you know, everyone wants to search for the cure there, um, finding out some more stuff. We, we really, when it comes to neuroscience, we are, uh, we really have a ton of questions. I don't know what what questions I have specific to Alzheimer's, but I think that diving into all these big, big topics is something that might be worth it. I think that, um, well, one can always do fitness on the side, but I think that dedicating a, a good chunk of research and, and, and funding that I'm gonna be getting in the future to these bigger questions is something that that could be worth it.
0: Yeah, that's extremely cool, man. That's the foresight at your age to have that thought and that level of contribution to something bigger is is really cool. So I just wanna highlight that. Um I, I want to uh I, I want to connect you with my buddy uh, Brendan Smith. He used to write for us. He used to write for physique development uh, back in 2014, 2015. So he, he wrote a couple of articles for us. He's very scientifically driven as well. He's around your age, he's 24. Um, but he just got his he just got his degree from Michigan State in biochemistry, nice um, where he was heavily entrenched in like graduate level. Uh, into their um, cancer research at Michigan State, and he is a future PhD student at Scripps Research, um, which I know is heavily rooted into cancer research and all of that. So I, I'd love to connect you guys. Um, he's a super cool dude and someone I think he would jive with, and something that it'd be a it'd be a good connection for you in terms of like discussing exactly that of what you just mentioned with cancer research and maybe where things could or where they are currently are or where they could go so i think you guys you guys are just two of the brightest um <laughs> two of the brightest people i've ever met um and i've just been very fortunate that you've crossed paths with me and have worked with me at some capacity um and i actually mentioned this uh i was having breakfast with my grandparents a couple of months back and They kind of they knew of Brendan um, because like he was just he became a friend and then he became like someone obviously that that worked for us a bit and then they knew of you as well and because they keep up with me and my business quite a bit that's awesome so they just asked how both of you were and I you know I said I just basically told them like about you and like you're going to Columbia you're doing stuff with Yale and I told them about Brendan who's you know just got his degree from michigan state um and then is going to uh, do research at Scripps, get his phd uh, over there in california and they are just like where do you find these people <laughs> like honestly i don't know i don't know why i'm crossing paths with these people i'm very fortunate um to do it and i'm very um very grateful that i have because you guys are amazing and i will say that you guys both in your own ways um like constantly inspiring me and and motivating me in that way watching you work and like just do all the things that you do because like all of your contributions like to these other brands that people may or may not know that was you is like I know that was you (laughs) Um, and it's just super cool like you're everywhere and it's awesome to see because like I remember back in 2017 when we met that was like that was your goal you're like I just want to be more places I just want to be in front of people um, I want my work to be in front of people because I have so much to give. And I was like, I, if I can help you in any way, I'm trying. Um, and it's just been really cool over the last couple of years to just see your work literally in front of combined millions of people, right? Like in terms of looking at probably the combined impressions of your work on these pages. If you're looking at Lane and Renaissance Periodization and Revive Stronger, like, add up all those like impressions via social platforms and podcasts and all these things. Like it's millions of people that are seeing your work, which is super cool. I don't know if you've thought of that. But, I
1: have lived. Dude, that's blowing my mind right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, you think about that. That's something that you should give some thought. Like, and not that that should detour anything, but like that is just super cool. So if I can lend anything and be perspective to you and like, just keep doing what you're doing. Cause it's, it's really inspiring to watch. It's motivating for me, it keeps me going because um, I can easily say I have my my days where I'm, I'm up and I'm down. Uh, especially I've, over the last couple of years it's been there's been some ups and downs with everything. Uh, you know that. Um, but it, as a whole like it's just been super inspiring to watch you do your thing, you keep showing up, you keep doing your thing. And as I said on as I said on the podcast recently with Steve, and um, Cody from Boom Boom Performance was just do those big things right consistently. And that's something that you're doing. And it's, it's, it's indexed very well. It has an extremely high ROI. And it's something that I think people that are still listening to this um, can take away from this conversation from Miguel. is just that doing those big things right consistently having patience but also having that tenacity to keep asking for opportunity and creating it and just like doing the work no matter if you need a little bit more coffee or a little bit more monster energy like whatever you need like if you need to do a little bit more drink a little bit more coffee to just keep doing it i need everything right now (laughs) you need everything i know that um but it's just been super inspiring man and i think you why, uh, another thing, why I wanted to have you on the podcast, not only to highlight where you are at the age of 23, which is amazing, but also to just show that over time, do the big things right consistently, ask for opportunity, create opportunity, show up and do good work consistently. People catch on to that and then it spreads like wildfire. It seems like this is this has been my kind of my life over the past year or so uh, maybe the last six months um, and I this has been true for you as well once one thing kind of happens and then the next thing happens off that then it's like this this branch right so off that branch comes two branches off that branch of two branches comes more branches like four and so now you have like it's all it's just, it multiplies it it spreads like wildfire and before you know it you have to more or less deploy, no, in your vocabulary, which is super impossible to do, especially like if all these opportunities have been all the everything you've wanted up to this point, um, it starts to spread like wildfire. So, taking that away from this conversation, taking this, taking that away from Miguel today is super important. Just to do the big things right consistently, keep showing up, keep doing good work, deploying patience, but also deploying. Kind of like as Gary Vee says it, like micro speed, macro patience. So like have patience in the long term. But the speed at which you do things should be very, very fast. You should should be very tenacious in the way that you work. You should not take things for granted and just keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up. So that's what I wanted to basically just like make sure that people understood not only from this podcast, but also just from you in general. Um, uh, so I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add to that, um, anything you want to, I'll let you go through your social stuff, but if you had anything you wanted to leave with people, um, whether that's Miguel's foresight or Miguel's, uh, <laughs> from like Miguel's vault of wisdom, um, <laughs> anything, well, let's just, let's narrow it down. Let's focus it into people that are wanting to create their own success for themselves within the fitness space. Cause it's, Although it's called Life Beyond Fitness, we're still within the fitness space. So, um, yeah, what do you have in terms of advice, wisdom, whatever?
1: I think that you have to honor your strengths and honor your passion. That's probably two of the biggest things that I have to say. If you're looking at the stuff that I do and you're like, hey, man, that's cool, but I don't like reading research and I don't like being a science guy, that's 100% fine if you just want to. And I don't.
0: And so, like, just a second, what Miguel's saying – Miguel and I are very close and we've worked together and Miguel respects me. I respect Miguel and it's understood that I don't enjoy that. And it's like, that's all right too. I I enjoy other things. I, I deploy my strengths in other ways. Right. So, um, yeah, I just want to be like kind of that the second, like the, I want to second what Miguel's saying there and it's, it's okay. You can still find success if you aren't, you don't love those things.
1: Absolutely. And you know, We talked a lot about my education and you don't have to go to McGill and Columbia and Yale to be a good coach. I think that that is probably the least important thing when it comes to being a good coach. I think the most important things about being a good coach or a good person, good content creator in the fitness industry is to really understand who you want to help, have a genuine desire to help those people. And and to just be really specific to that audience and and have the, the, the basic knowledge to help that audience and create content for them. Like if you want to help the average person who, let's say, is eating clean and doesn't really know about macros or calories or anything like that, have the general knowledge to say, hey, well, you know, and a salad with avocado and olive oil and quinoa and chicken thighs is very nutritious, but it may contain too many calories for your weight loss. Cool, but that's basically where you need to get to. If you want to get really into the scientific part of things and talk about, you know, um, leucine tracers and and mTOR and stuff like that, cool, then if that's your passion, be specific to that and create content to that. But you just kind of have to honor what you're good at, uh, who you enjoy working with, and have the the knowledge that is pretty much like the the basic amount of knowledge to help that population. I don't think that if you want to just help, uh, you know, your neighbor Sally lose x amount of pounds like 20 pounds you need to have a, a mcgill columbia education and all know all about uh, you know muscle protein synthesis and elongation and, and, and elongation factors and all these different things um, just do what you're good at and enjoy it help the population that, that you like to work with and also one thing that i kind of want to to talk about while i'm on this is don't feel obligated to work with a general population if that's not what you enjoy i see a lot of people they're like well i'm going to work that with the general population because That's the general population. That's where I'll get the the biggest amount of clients. Work with the client that you want to work with. Because if you're working with someone who you don't enjoy working with, you're going to give them a crappy service. If you like working with powerlifters, work with powerlifters. If you like working with the general population, do that. If you like working with novice bodybuilders, do that. And if you like working with really elite bodybuilders who are going to follow you like a machine, try and do that. It's going to be very hard, but but try and do that.
0: Yeah, try your best to do that. (laughs) A lot of people are trying to do that. Uh, but a lot of people have succeeded to do that as well. So I think it's, um, that are just, yeah, very respectable. So yeah, man, thanks for leaving that. I think that's incredible advice. And I think that is very relatable for people in terms of looking to whether they're looking to get into it for the first time or whether they're trying to transition out of their current career into the next one. Uh, cause I think that's a pretty common thing for people that are, Realizing the potential with the fitness space currently and where the what where the landscape is at, that you can, um, eat, no matter what age, you can transition out of your current career if, you're, if that's not where you want to be and you can transition into a new one. I've seen it happen. Um, I've mentored coaches that have been doing it. And then I've also collaborated with and have people that I know within this industry currently that have done just that. Or, You know they may be in their upper 30s 40s and have only spent the last couple of years in the fitness industry because they've transitioned out of their old career into this new one and so whether you're someone coming up and you're just you know you're you're young and ready to get into it that advice holds true and then also if you're someone that is more in the 30 40 you know 50 range and you're looking to transition into something new like again what Miguel said holds true. So I think that's super important to take away. And I think it's a great place to end off today. Uh, Miguel is a person that will, I'm sure be on the podcast again. I'd love to. Absolutely. And uh, so to end things off here, go ahead and tell people where they can find you, all of that stuff, all the social stuff, the normal stuff that you would say at the end of a podcast, (laughs) Uh, but also any projects, anything that you want to plug um, anything that you want to to say to the people like this is your time so obviously the rest has been your time as well but uh, if you want to plug something plug it if you want to just leave people with your social do that too or all the above go for it
1: awesome so i'll, I'll start with my social uh, you can find me on instagram at mblacute m-b-l-a-c-u-t-t uh, you can uh, find our coaching at Revive Stronger uh, so that you, you can get coached by myself, Steve Hall, Pascal Flor, or Ryan Solomon at ReviveStronger.com. You can apply there and we'll get back to you shortly. Uh, and then current projects that I'm working on. So um, for people who like the bodybuilding stuff and the more complicated fitness stuff, I just wrote an article on um, kind of the first evidence that we are seeing that uh, overreaching phases are beneficial for muscle hypertrophy. So we have a paper by Schoenfeld showing no upper limit to the volume response relationship with hypertrophy. We have a paper by uh, Hahn et al. showing uh, sarcoplasmic hypertrophy with uh, really high volumes and energy demanding uh, work. And then we have a paper by Bjornsson et al. showing delayed myonuclear addition and delayed hypertrophy to a high volume period. So if you are a nerd of fitness, you can check that out at ReviveStronger.com. And then also I have an article coming out with Dr. Gabriel Fundero, who is a world leading uh, expert on uh, gut microbiology and gut health. And it is an article where we are collaborating and have been working on for a few months all about uh, green supplements and whether or not these fruits and vegetables, green supplements are actually beneficial for you, what they can do to your gut health, what's marketed, what's reality, and if they are worth it. So that's going to be coming out in early August. And then my uh, article about uh, overreaching for muscle hypertrophy is coming out in in about a week or so.
0: I'm extremely excited for both of those. So thank you. That's amazing. I've been keeping up with, um, I didn't really know about the, I actually just saw Steve's post today, or the one that you shared of Steve's about the, the kind of like sneak peeks of the article. Uh, so I, I was excited about that. That sparks my interest. So obviously I'm entrenched into that as, as well from a programming perspective. And also the, the stuff around gut health currently is really, it's cool to see where it's going. We're very, we don't have to go too deep into that because that's a whole nother podcast, but it's just really cool to see like we're making some headway on that. There's not, you know, the assumptions we had in the past And kind of, I feel like the blanket statements we just put on it are starting to go away and we're starting to accept that that we know very little. And then we're starting to learn a little bit more, but very little is known from like a overarching perspective. So I think it's extremely cool. And I think it's extremely cool that you guys are collaborating on, on articles. So do you guys have a different article as well that you collaborated on? Or is this your no, first? This,
1: this has been the one that we have been plugging for. Oh, okay, okay, yeah.
0: I, I say there was one a few months back I saw that you were collaborating with her on, and I couldn't remember if it was the green supplements or not. No, this is it. It's going to be a this hugely is
1: massive article. It's going to be we should probably turn it into an ebook at this point.
0: You <laughs> should. It should be one of those like Stronger by Science, um, Greg Knuckles articles turned into oh, a full novel. Ebook. <laughs> he writes like three hundred page articles. It's be absolutely bad. insane. Well, thanks, Miguel. Um, thanks for hopping on here.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me on. And, and just so you guys know, every good thing that Austin said about me, I say back about him. He is an absolutely amazing individual. Austin is just kind of like my guiding light, where he is the most centered and well thought out person I know. So, if at any point I have you know just an, an intrinsic question that need that I need kind of like a a lot of guidance on, I come to Austin because. I'm pretty sure he, he like internally, he just establishes all of his thoughts for the day. And that's how he can just keep them coming just so perfectly <laughs> and well thought out. Cause no matter what you throw at yeah. him, he's going to give you just like the most philosophical answer ever. And yeah. I'm pre- and from what I've heard, uh is the same way. So if, if I'm in a room with you guys, I'm going to be bringing a notebook and taking notes on what you guys say.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that, man. <laughs> that means a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's been a, it's been my own, it's been our own journey for the both of us, but I appreciate you saying that. It's extremely nice. It's extremely kind to say. And if I had a if I had a strength, that may be <laughs> that may be it. Um, yeah, I mean, thanks for hopping on. This has been the Life Beyond Fitness Podcast.